You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast. All right. Now, again, I'm having a slight issue here. Again, I do apologize. I am pulling up the MGM read, though, as we speak. Bet MGM read, which is uh, something new and different and very exciting as well. Okay. Here's the deal. So we have now partnered. We have teamed with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM this alliance to make all our picks and we'll have special offers throughout uh, for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code PHNX. You all know the drill. And you will get up to 1,000. Uh, you will get up to 1,000 first bet uh, offer on your first wager with BetMGM. And uh, here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code PHNX. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use promo bonus code PHNX when you sign up. And to kick off the partnership, we're doing a massive watch party this Saturday at 2 p.m. at the BetMGM Sportsbook at State Farm Stadium. And come watch the late stages of college basketball play out, and you'll have food and beverage specials, giveaways, and massive TVs to watch the game on. Plus, if you register and place your first bet with promo code PHNX, when you sign up, you'll receive a PHNX shirt. And now listen to the great Shane Diefenbach with the disclaimer. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369, New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP-ARIZONA, 1-800-522-4700, Kansas, Nevada, 1-800-327-5050, Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF, Iowa, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help, Michigan. We are all about thorough, thorough attentiveness to detail right there. And that's why we are partnered with BetMGM. Very excited about that, John Schuster. That's the first time you've heard that. Wow. I feel like TV dad right now. Uh, I, uh, um, uh, I have been in that building. It's kind of nice. It's right. Yeah, I guess. Facility by State Farm. It is very cool. So we're excited to have them on board. Very cool too. Very helpful. Ben White, John Schuster. All right. We're going to talk about the transfer portal here because Ben White, or uh, excuse me, um, John Schuster and I have, I think, drastically different opinions about the transfer portal. Ben, John Schuster is generally smarter than me, but we also have Ben White in here, though, to be the tiebreaker. And again, okay. by the way, Mike, April Fool's Day is tomorrow, not today. So uh, let's not get too carried away and try <laughs> to uh, uh, cause all kinds of consternation with my uh, level of intelligence. Uh, we know that you are trying to play the jester here and cause all kinds of problems the day before. This is like April Fool's Day Eve for you. Uh, so don't try to make me out as being the genius that I, uh, well, clearly am. I had a boss one time uh, with the last name Crow who would tell me that I was nothing more than a foil. So, you know what, uh, that's uh, just, I always keep that in the back. But let's talk about the transfer portal here. We're going to talk about how it pertains to Arizona. We're also going to talk a little bit of Arizona football. Uh, first scrimmage tomorrow, I will be there. John Schuster will probably not be there. But um, I'm going to make the case for the transfer portal. And Jacob Franklin, if you could put the graphic up right there, made by uh, Sean DePaz, very good. 
So here's exactly why I like the transfer portal. Free uh, player freedom of movement, March Madness opportunities, teams can improve much quicker, and you watch that throughout. You have a lot of these teams that are in this tournament, and they have gotten good because of the transfer portal. Kansas State, Texas, obviously not in there anymore. Um, now, John Schuster does not like it, probably for some of the reasons on the right. John Schuster, why are you be- why is your opinion better than mine? Well, uh, well, uh, because I'm stating it. No, uh, one of the things that uh, I, I think we might uh, consider moving past is that uh, there's there seems to be this generalized mentality that if you're against the transfer portal, somehow you're against player movement and player freedom and that sort of thing. It's an old argument. The transfer portal's here. The problem that I have with the transfer portal relays to one of those uh, cons that you put up in the graphic about disjointed teams. But the problem that I have with disjointed teams has very little to do with player freedom and very little to do with how uh, coaches ultimately have to utilize this reality. It is my belief that the individuals, the entities that get the most hurt by the transfer portal, are the people who are watching or listening to this podcast right now. College basketball fans who like and watch college basketball on a more or less every time there's a game, they're going to check it out. They're watching college basketball from November, and they're watching college basketball into early April. What's, they are the people who are without a doubt, at least in my opinion, most affected by what the transfer portal is going to cause. Because for them, the quality of play in college basketball is going to deteriorate. It is going to be significantly more inconsistent. And so from the middle of the middle of November, when the season starts until about the first of March, college basketball game in and game out is not going to be as good a product post portal as it was before. Now, if you want to make the trade and hope that the NCAA tournament is a lot like this year in a complete blast and a crapshoot, then you get three weeks of entertaining college basketball there. But up to that point, as a fan, I think the likelihood is that game in and game out, you're the ones who are going to be the most affected by quality of play, which will not be as good. Ben White, and I'm going to come back at that right there. What do you think, Ben White? I think overall, it's a good thing. Um, I think it obviously has its pros and cons, but I think more importantly, like Shu said, it's here to stay, whether you like it or not. Now, do I think that kids should be able to transfer midseason kind of whenever they want? No, I think there needs to be some parameters put in place and we're getting better and we're getting to that point eventually. But I just think the nature of college basketball and everything that we just said right there when it comes to the overarching point, and I'm sure, Mike, you're going to chime in when it comes to this as to what you just said, but nobody really cares about regular season college basketball. That product itself is kind of a crap. NCAA cares about those three weeks in March. So I'll let you take that one. All right. Let me challenge John Schuster on this, though. Look at Duke, look at Kentucky over the last 10, 12 years, obviously a little bit different, but they have dominated college basketball or at least one. They both have championships, multiple final fours with pretty much all freshmen playing or almost a majority freshman lineups, newcomers, et cetera. How is that different than bringing in guys that are 22, 23, if you're, say, Kansas State? There's nothing wrong with Kansas State bringing in those players, and but I would be very very careful 
about suggesting that this one season that we have watched with the portal is going to be the end-all, be-all to the way this plays out. And this leads into another conversation. The portal ties into NIL. So if you think that Kansas State has the money to be able to afford really good talent year in and year out through the transfer portal, all right, let's see if that happens. There is a very real possibility that because of NIL, which connects to the transfer portal and bringing in kids in general, that you are going to have uh, a, a, sep- a greater separation between the haves and have-nots in college basketball than at any time potentially you did before, despite the weirdness of this year's NCAA tournament. And I think the weirdness to a lot of this year's NCAA tournament has as much to do with COVID and senior leadership as it does ultimately with the way that the portal's going to play out. Now, again, the reality is that the portal's here. That ain't changing. The Pandora's box is open. We're not going back. Players have an opportunity to move around as they deem fit. Some of them are going to do it for legitimate reasons. Some of them are going to do it because they're pouty. Uh, Whatever the reason as a 19 or a 20 or a 21-year-old that you want to move around, well, okay. Now coaches are going to have to re-recruit you, and that's fine. However, a lot of the really good players, the best players available who aren't going to jump immediately to other professions, are going to go where the money is. And so as a school who wants to be a brand in college basketball, you had better have an NIL vision and an NIL staff in place to figure out how you're going to cater to the best athletes and even some of the potential available athletes who might be playing other sports. I understand that we're talking about men's college basketball in general, but I think schools had better be ahead of the curve when it comes to a vision because those are the schools that are going to get good fast because they're going to get the best players. So this belief that every year in the NCAA tournament, we're going to have San Diego State, Florida, Atlantic, and Kansas State uh, making deep tournament runs. There's a very real possibility that you're concerned about Duke and Kentucky and North Carolina and St. John's because they're in New York and UCLA because they're in Los Angeles and pick an SEC team that already has deep pockets when it comes to a booster support and whatever other measures that might be available for NIL. That's the new arena that you're dealing with as far as this transfer portal is concerned. So the portal itself has two problems, I think. One from a fan standpoint, and one is a separate issue that comes into place as far as the money train is available. And as far as uh, coaching staffs are concerned, that better be able to effectively navigate both of them. I think there's more of a chance that we're going to get a top-heavy college basketball that is a lesser overall product than we're ultimately going to have this free-flowing thing that we've seen in the 2023 NCAA tournament. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I think... In terms of the free-flowing thing, I I do agree with Shu in the sense that COVID and a lot of the parameters that were put in place with the transfer portal are definitely an outlier. But you know what they say, right? The rich get richer, the poor the poor get poorer. I mean, we've talked about college basketball. We've we've watched college basketball very closely, and every single year, you know, there's always at least a handful of one or two seeds in that Final Four mix, and I don't think that's going to change. But what worries me and with everything that Shu just said, I think there's that fine line as a player that college basketball has to figure out as to what's doing best for yourself and what's doing best for the program. So where is that boundary? I, I like the idea of being able to transfer. 
again, right, you look at any other stage of life, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, people have flexibility, people have options. And I think that's obviously resonated and transferred to college basketball. If a coach can leave in the middle of the year and that player committed to said coach, why is that player stuck in a program for two to three years? Or furthermore, if a player is recruited by a coach and is blatantly lied to, which happens quite a bit as to role expectations, et cetera, why is that player held accountable to stay? So, I mean, I think, I think what we're seeing is obviously NIL is huge. And obviously anybody who's followed college sports, anybody with even a little bit of a brain knows behind closed doors, guys have been getting paid forever. So all of it's just out on the wall now. And when that happens, the teams at the top, they get further up here and the teams at the bottom, they, they sink even further. So it'll be interesting. I think it's a very gray area topic. I think it's perfect the way it is that it's going to be in the 23-24 season because I don't support unlimited transfers, I think. But you get one transfer, you get basically one get-out-of-jail-free card, for lack of a better term. Then after that, you have to sit. If you want to transfer again, it's like the old rule where you have to sit. Grad transfers can basically do what they want at that point. I do think that you need to limit because you do see guys that are basically at three different schools in three years. That, to me, isn't good. But like Ben said, a lot of times, recruiting is a sales pitch. I mean, that's just the way it is. And a lot of times guys are brought in, maybe told that they're going to have a certain role. They get in there, coaches find out that they're not good enough, whatever the case may be. I do believe that that at that point, a guy should be able to move, but I also don't support the unlimited transfers, which is what we're seeing now, which at least the NCAA is going to be putting a stop to John Schuster. Well, if they do, that's certainly, I I think, a move in the right direction. And it becomes a crux as far as uh, coaches are concerned. Uh, to do something that they don't want to do and don't feel like they should have to do, and that's re-recruit players who are in the program. Uh, Player, so what's incumbent upon coaches is, uh, one, trying to maintain as much continuity as you possibly can to give yourself a leg up heading into the following season with a core in place. The second aspect of that is how fast can you communicate? Some coaches are better at this than other than the, you know, constant rotating moving parts thing than other coaches are. Uh, But sometimes it doesn't necessarily work. One of the air, one of the programs that has me absolutely baffled that I would have anticipated would have been way ahead of the curve here is Oregon. Oregon has a great coach who basically has been playing transfer portal basketball since Dana Altman's been there. And they were very effective doing in the last three years when there's been an actual transfer portal. Oregon hasn't been very good. Right. It hasn't been very consistent. So I think there's the uh, there's there's the concern that something like that can ultimately uh, catch up with you. But the problem again that I have here that I'm the most concerned about is that I believe from a fan standpoint the game is not going to be as good as it was before from day one to the end of the season. Now, as a fan, if you're okay with that and can come to terms with that, fine. You know, it's your decision whether you want to watch the game or not. Let's be honest. When the end, when when the rules were changed about players jumping early uh, to the NBA, college basketball suffered. Right. The quality of the game suffered. Teams from the 80s and 90s up and down the line are better at any point in time than any college basketball team you put on the floor now. Period. End of conversation. In pretty much every other sport. Because of training, because of advances, be, you know, uh, kids are bigger, faster, stronger. It's all $6 million man stuff. Uh, Most 
other sports, if you parlayed an NFL team from now against an NFL team from the 80s, the NFL team now would win. If you parlayed an NBA team, perhaps, uh, maybe the NBA team would be would win because it's just bigger and faster. You know, generally speaking, if you look from sport to sport to sport, more often than not, players in that sport are supposed to evolve and supposed to improve. College basketball, men's college basketball is an example of a sport that has gotten worse. And it got worse as a result of players being able to leave early. Now, I think we're about to see the second uh, descent of modern college basketball. And that descent will be a quality of play, which will affect most notably offenses uh, from a game to game basis. Now, fans stayed around uh, to a large degree from you know, ascent one to descent one. Will they stay just because they like college basketball and like the branding of a university from as it heads into what I believe is descent two? Perhaps they will. And if they do, that's their decision. And that's fine by me. But generally speaking, I don't think the game is going to be of the quality that we have come to expect as a result of this portal during the course of the majority of the rest of the regular season. We're going to talk about how this pertains to Arizona next, but you might say to yourself, I would like to see John Schuster on TV more. And you know what? We have, there's many people out there saying that, many people, and Fubo TV to the rescue. Okay, here's the deal. You can sign up through the link in the description, www.fubotv.com backslash PHNX. For people still looking uh, to cable, Cut and be able to watch their favorite Arizona shows. 140 live channels of sports shows, movies, and news. Now, again, you can watch. Uh, you Including can watch the Arizona Pac-12 on- Network. What's that? The Pac-12 <laughs> Network. It's on there. That's X. important for literally our the Pac-12 X is on there. Now you can watch Arizona on Valley Sports with Fubo TV. Use the link in the description to sign them for 15% off your first month of Fubo Pro right there. Again, check it out, Fubo TV. And have you guys ever been to Circle K? C. Yes, we. Here is the best Logan. thing that I can tell you about Circle K. It serves the community and it serves all around. John Schuster and I have talked about this. The <laughs> toughest intersection we believe in or in Tucson is Oracle and Grant. I'm not lying, correct? No, that's certainly in the conversation. Absolutely. You could also go to the north side. You're going to find a Circle K there. You could also go to the north side, though, and find Circle Ks everywhere. That's because it is a store for the people. All right. You could get Red Bulls. You can get energy drinks. You name it. They've got it. Circle K. And you'll be able to find them anywhere, no matter where you live. Now, make sure you're not missing out on all this great stuff. And be stocked all March Madness long. Head to CircleK.com backslash store locator. CircleK.com backslash store locator to find Circle Ks near you. They are out there. They are for the people, by the people. Check it out, Circle K. Ben White has been to Circle K's as well. Is this correct, Ben White? Yes, Ben White has been to Circle K. Could be because right. Ben White has put gas in a car, and Ben White has <laughs> got a puller pop. Okay, and John Schuster and I, when we were going up to Las Vegas, we went to Circle K right there. We, I even have a picture of this to be able to prove it. So again, check it out, Circle K. All right, now, Ben, when it comes to navigating the transfer portal here, I think we're going to find out a lot about what Tommy Lloyd can do here because – 
His recruiting, listen, as a coach, he's obviously an A-plus coach. We, we know that. The recruiting has been a little, you know, I would say a little bit up and down, a little bit, you know, maybe you want a little bit more out of it. The portal, though, is going to be fascinating for me because there's no reason that he shouldn't be able to get difference makers. Again, I'm just going to keep using it. Jacob Franklin, if we could pull up that graphic about guys and the Elite Eight, the Sweet 16, um, I mean, you look at these guys right here. And this is with all due respect to Courtney Raby and Seth Henderson, but these are guys right here, Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, Marcus Carr, Serge Jabari Rice, Nigel Pack. These are all difference makers. These are guys that are all conference-type guys. Doug Gottlieb said one time on this show, he said there are no uh, there are no um, pros in the transfer portal. He's probably right on that, but they're all conference-type guys. And so, yes, while it's fun to get the Ramies of the world, it's fun to get the Seth Hendersons, those guys to me are more seventh or eighth guys you got to be able to get difference makers like the guys we just saw in there and tommy lloyd has a real pitch right here i mean he runs a fun style of play you're in a prominent national program and and i don't see why if kansas state texas can get those why tommy lloyd can't get those ben white yeah and i think the big key here too is when you look at ramey and henderson and, and these other guys that we had historically in the past it was as a result of most of these guys in the transfer portal are either grad transfers or there was some sort of description uh, with uh, covid right but now you look at the transfer portal itself i think 805 guys just when right. college basketball's regular season ended i think the number's up to like 1300 now hunter dickinson another big name out of michigan just literally announced that he's in the transfer portal so you have options and you have guys not only in the conference but like you said mike you have guys all throughout the country and if you can find a guy who's in that you know sophomore to junior senior range where you know that there's a level of credibility you know that he has the credentials to come in and and fill the build of having that you know kind of guy who's athletic that guy can score and make a difference and that guy just that brings something a little bit different to the table than what we've been accustomed to seeing with Creasa and some of these other guards so I think it's a step in the right direction um I think you know Bamba out of Washington State I think uh Dixon Waiters is a guy we've talked about at USC so not only do you have options across the transfer portal throughout the country, but you've got some great options right here in the conference. So if I'm Tommy Lloyd, I'm reaching out to as many guys as humanly possible who fit, fit that mold. I think style is important. I think fit is important, but I think now more than ever, you got to understand if you're Lloyd, while you do have the pedigree and you do have the background of being at a program like Arizona, you're also going up against so many different schools. So at some point, Mike, it does become a volume game. So you've got to have 15, 20, 25 guys that, you know, you think could be A or B options. And you've got to take it from there and, and see what pans out. John Schuster, you have admired Gonzaga from afar for a long time. And you know what? I was wrong on John. I was wrong on Gonzaga. And this is again why John Schuster is a genius. Because for the longest time, I thought, all right, they beat up on a bunch of teams. You know, they're beating up on, you know, Cal Baptists of the world. And then when they get to the tournament, they don't do anything. Literally, once I said that, they went to two championships in seven years since then. So they were clearly listening to what we were saying, and they wanted to make John Schuster look good. But Schuster, on a serious note, though, Gonzaga has been able to master the international route with the domestic route and with bringing in transfers as well. 
Tommy Lloyd, it's going to be interesting to see if he can be able to do that to the extent and as deftly as Mark Few has been able to do that. Let me answer that and then ask you backtrack a little bit on the question, because you guys are far more up to speed on the day to day of of how the recruiting machinations work uh, than I am at this stage. But uh, generally speaking, this is why I'm generally confident with Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. I feel like I've seen this screenplay play out twice before. It played out with Lute Olson in the early 90s, and it played out with Mark Few during the early 2000s. And the gist of it is this. With Olson at Arizona, uh, Arizona, he built the team, and in 88, they had a huge season, got to the Final Four. And then they had a bit of a dip. Uh, and in that dip, they, they overachieved in the regular season to get the seed that they deserved but they were victims of their own success. Right. They were a three seed that lost early in the tournament, a four seed that lost, a uh, two seed that lost early in the tournament, a number one seed that lost, or, or rather a two seed that lost in the second round of the tournament. And, and there was a point in time in that window where it felt like, um, you know, can Lute Olson coach or is he just a flame out in the tournament? Mark Few went through much the same thing. They were victims of their own success. They won games in the mid-20s. They had 10 seed talent and got two seeds in the tournament. Arizona under Lloyd this year did the same thing. The reality is, and we kind of knew it, we hoped again, you know, we hope, we, we hope for the best that you could ride the wave and we saw what happened. And there are dozens of concerns that were exposed by virtue of Arizona's pitiful performance against Princeton. However, in the grand scheme of things, overall, Arizona was a victim of its own success. They were, they, they were a deserved two seed that won... 20-something games that had 10-seed talent. Right. And come tournament time with that, you get exposed. However, in the Olsen example and the few example, I think to a large degree, you need to go through those lumps in the road and show that you can be successful with less talent to attract better talent. Because better talent will say to some degree, wait, you just won 26 games with Kirk Creesa? What can I do there? Right. And that's kind of one of the pitches that I think you get to the point where Arizona, hopefully, if this script plays out, uh, gets to a point where as a result of that, they like the system, they like the brand and maybe other things, and they, they, they can be you know attracted to the program and get the talent in here that we think Arizona can ultimately be attracted to. Mike, my question to you then is this, and there was a comment that um, uh, Derek made on the bottom about how players, how, how any player in the transfer portal would love to play with Boswell. Okay, right. that's great. But, 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 but if you're a recruit and you tell me, which is the most important thing, playing with Boswell, going to the U of A, or getting paid? Honestly, what, are these, what, what are these recruits looking at now as they go through the transfer portal uh, and, and they're trying to pick another team? Well, I think a lot of a lot of this is getting paid. A guy that we brought up right there, Nigel Pack, he is admit, or at uh, Miami right now. He's making $800,000 for, for his two years at Miami, $400,000 per year. So he's essentially a professional basketball player at this point. Um I would have to think, especially if you're a grad transfer and you're probably not a pro, because again, I do I do subscribe to that theory that NBA players are not in the in the transfer portal because they're going to the NBA. I mean, duh, I'm not really breaking any news right there. I would be looking, quite frankly, that would be a big part of my calculus is being the highest bidder because again, 
You know, if you're offering me $300,000 to come play for you for what, two years, uh, I can put, I can look past a lot of roster problems, a lot of uh, coaching concerns with that $300,000 right there. And I think that's where, and you know, Dirty Dancer makes a great point right here. Most of the top NIL guys will make more money in college than they ever could in the NBA. And I think that's exactly right. I mean, again, I'll use Nigel Pack as an example. $800,000, Ben, when he's at Miami, and that's not even a blue blood. But again, when you've got those kind of coffer, or, you know, when you've got those kind of, uh, uh, that kind of money, it changes the calculation. We are in uncharted or unchartered waters, no matter uh, whichever one you want to use. Both of them are accurate right here. And it's interesting you go down that path because it it opens up the conversation of not only just getting as many guys as you can in the transfer portal, but you have to be a little bit more specific with the guys you go after because I think to answer Shu's question, I'll piggyback off what Mike just said. I think it's the two Ps. It's playing time and it's getting paid. And depending on the guy, depending on his preference, depending on more importantly where he is in his college career, one of those P's is going to be at the top of the list versus the other. So if you go after those guys who are in that freshman to sophomore space, you know, maybe they're projected to go to the NBA at one point in time in high school. Maybe they felt like it was a fit issue, playing time, et cetera. They're going to be more receptive to you as a coach and coming to a program like Arizona, where somebody like Courtney Ramey, who spent four years at Texas, somebody like Cedric Henderson, same situation. They know that at the next level, they're going to have to either go overseas or there's really no future with for them playing professional basketball. So what's going to be the priority? They'll never admit it, but deep down, the priority is going to be cashing out and getting as much money as possible. So I think that's where we have a little bit of a, a, a dangerous situation. And if you're a coach, you've got to really prioritize and understand that those are the two mindsets that you're going to have to look for. And you're going to have to be strategic with the guys that you go after because of it. John Schuster, I got to tell you a story about Mountain Mike's Pizza because I know that you wanted that segue. Ben White wanted that segue as well. It's all right. true. Yes. Now, you might say, Mike, what about Mountain Mike's Pizza? First of Mike, all, as, you, as many of you know, I'm not Mountain Mike, but I thought that Mountain Mike's was only in Arizona. Ben White, very Where smart. Where is it, Mike? Where, where else is it? I hadn't heard. It's also in California. And to show you the reach wow. of Mountain Mike's Pizza, you and I were driving around in Sacramento. You have a witness, or I have a witness here. And we saw a Mountain Mike's Pizza right there. I and had to it, slam on the brakes to get a good place for him to take a picture of it. Because <laughs> I wanted to prove that this was Mountain Mike's Pizza, and it was Mountain Mike's Pizza. And guess what? The reason that it's everywhere is because it's good. And again, you can go to the Oracle and Wetmore location. John Schuster has been to Mountain Mike's Pizza. This is correct. No, that is correct. That's absolutely right. correct. There's no fallacy in that statement. All right. I would suggest that there is no fallacy. Head over to mountainmikespizza.com or, uh, or to their Mesa, Chandler, or Tucson locations to place your next order. Reminder, new diehards get a $50 voucher upon signing up and tap and bottle. Let me tell you about this. I, I was at the tap and bottle watch parties. By the way, we're going to get those again next year. All of you should show up next season to show you how stealth John Schuster is about how what a great feel and what a comfortable feel that Tap and Bottle is. John Schuster came and sat behind me for 15 minutes while I was watching the game. Didn't tell me he was there. I didn't even know that he was there. And But you know what? I was drinking a Four Peaks right there and a food truck while talking with Scott and Rebecca. Go to Tap and Bottle downtown or uh, the Northwest location. Great stuff.
Nothing I said there was false, by the way. That's true. Um, that food truck was pretty darn good, too. No, we are. But, you know, on a serious note, we are going to find was the alcohol. Yes. Anyway, go ahead, Mike. We are going to find out about Tommy Lloyd, I do believe, though, as far as beating, because I don't believe that there he should have any problem recruiting players. I mean, you watch the style. I mean, we watched it. Say whatever you want, but Sean or how he was able to do it. But Sean Miller did not run a fun style of play. Um and, you know, certainly did, and he was able to recruit at a very, very high level. Tommy Lloyd runs a far more enjoy- enjoyable style of play. I think it's hard to argue that he's not a better X's and O's coach. There is no reason to me that he shouldn't be able to get real difference makers. And that is with all due respect to the Courtney Ramey said Hendersons. Those guys, to me, are more pieces around the periphery, not real difference makers. Yeah, which gives you a little bit more more depth. But I guess one of the things that I'm really the most interested in, and perhaps some folks in the administration have a general idea and a vision of how this is supposed to go and what their role in it is. I look at uh, situations like Rick Pitino taking the St. John's job. One of the things that came out of that conversation. By the way, I think he's going to destroy it there. I think he's going to be awesome. And and one of the reasons he's going to be awesome is because, and you're right, he will, beyond coaching, which he does exceptionally well, uh, is that he went into that conversation with the administration of St. John's laying out an NIL vision. So he understand, already understands what the situation is and has an idea of how to approach it and how he thinks the university needs to go about giving him the, the benefits necessary to allow St. John's to be a viable program on the national stage, which I think most of us believe will happen within three years. Why? Well, St. John's is basically New York City. So you got a crap load of money in Manhattan that you can feed off of uh, from a support standpoint. The University of Miami. You talked about Pat, who makes 800000 a year. The Cavender twins off Instagram with women's basketball make something like 850 a year. Uh, Miami, as a program, has a crap load of money that it can feed off of from a very trendy, well-off city with a lot of deep pockets. Uh, and, and they have an idea already going in about how they want to approach the NIL thing. So the question is, for programs that are outside the SECs, we've seen this with the SEC in football, you know, for perpetuity, outside the Big Ten, where there's a bunch of people who have a lot of money and like the idea of throwing it at sports, what's Arizona's vision? What's Arizona's idea here? You're in Tucson, Arizona. They're, you know, as far as the level, the, the general level of Tucson, yeah, there's some people with money, but not, you know, a lot in town. And I don't know what the viable options are there. Now, Arizona's booster class has loads of deep pockets. Are you going to try to access that uh, to, you know, improve the situation? Or, and or, do you have somebody in an NIL department coming in and saying, uh, this is what we can do from a social media standpoint, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat or what, whatever, you know, newfangled program happens to be out there. What do you do as a program to get, uh, you know, Livy Dunn's $4 million for gymnastics at LSU? What do you get for the Cavender twins in Miami making almost a million dollars a year? What are those sorts of things within the University of Arizona that you are creative enough to be able to access to build the brand and build individual stature from an overall financial standpoint. And I've been out of the loop here. So maybe there's a vision, 
I just haven't heard it. And I think it's important that Arizona has one because a lot of other schools clearly are going to. And that changes the dynamic of competition a little bit from the era of as a coach, as Ben noted, well, you can just get playing time and we have a really good style. There are other elements at play here. I don't know how significant they are, but I suggest they're going to be a I would suggest Mike Luke that they're going to be a pretty that. that they're going to be a pretty big deal. And um, y- you know, if you're in an era where things have changed and they're not going back, you've got to be able to figure out how it is that you're going to be on the front line effectively. I mean, that to me is really the case right there, because, again, you just have you you've got to figure this one out. Now, again, we had Jed Fish on here who did who does back the A, by the way. And he said, bear down back the A with the biggest smirk in the world. Um, But he said, basically, um, they have possible you have opportunities to get money here through NIL, but you have to do community service type work. It's not just a free for all where basically we're just going to give you two hundred thousand dollars or whatever the case may be. And I think that is actually a um, I think that's actually kind of the way to go about it, because after a while, if it just becomes a bidding war, you know, the, the big schools are going to win that one right there, in my opinion. Yeah, see, see, because is it going to become let's – use, let's use the two examples I used in women's athletics. And let's not pretend to be terribly PC here for a moment, okay? Choose Olivia Dunn at LSU. Gymnastic, uh, gy- gymnast at LSU. She, played, she, made, she made something in the neighborhood of $4 million last year based on Instagram subscriptions and posting on social media. Do any of us know why she made $4 million posting on Instagram and by virtue of social media? Because she's hot. She money. Because right. she's hot. All right, who are we kidding here? The, 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 the two Miami pl- women's basketball players in Miami who are pulling down about a million dollars a year are doing so because they're hot. Right, so as part of the imaginative aspect of this, let's be honest. Juve has a softball team that has its share of athletes who are hot. Volleyball has that aspect. Uh, there, are a, a, there are a variety of possible elements out there. If anyone's on Instagram or TikTok or whatever the case, you know, whatever the heck the case is, and follows some 20-year-old kid, you know what 20-year-old kids are posting. Uh, right. and, and this is one of the potential avenues that has certainly worked for Dunn, that has certainly worked for the University of Miami, that can work for a lot of other schools as well. But figuring out ways, it's hard to argue that, Derek. It is hard to argue that. He should have his own Instagram account and, and, and make his own seven or eight figures as a result. his own OnlyFans, yeah. <laughs> yes. Mike Luke OnlyFans. Can you yes. imagine? Oh, Those man. things smell like hotcakes. That is going to be a different kind of back the A that I really don't want to get into on this show. Uh, but the gist of it is some sort of, you know, effective imagination and vision that can help a lot of the athletes in the NIL era want to come to Arizona, perhaps in addition to the benefits that the school already provides. Speaking of which, all right, we got Arizona football coming in here, but something, let me tell you first, though, we're going to talk about this because I want to get you all some money out there, by the way. But first, four peaks. Now, you might say to yourself, Henry Vesar, Dylan Anderson, Azulis Tabellas, Umar Ballo, those are the Tucson four peaks. But you know what? They are only secondary to the real four peaks, which is the official brew of PHNX. Okay, now you might say to yourself, Mike, where can I get four peaks? Everywhere. I had a kilt lifter last night. It was very, very good. And I would suggest getting that. Now, here's the deal. 
NFL draft is here. New coach, new GM. The Cardinals have the third pick in the draft. Again, choose Will Anderson or choose uh, Will Anderson, kid out of Alabama. That's what I would do. And it's a big opportunity for the team. The best place to take in this pivotal moment and the rest of the NFL draft on April 27th is at Four Peaks 8th Street Pub. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy responsibly. All right, everybody out there, time to make some money here. Arizona is going to be, whenever the numbers come out, Arizona is going to be woefully undervalued when it comes to Arizona football this year, their wins, loss, to- wins, loss totals. This was the same case it was last year. It was two and a half wins. Um, Arizona hit five. I think Arizona's going to be probably around four or five. This is a six or a seven win team, in my opinion, and I would 100% uh, take that one to the bank. This is the epitome, though, I think where when you're around something and you see it, the talent level is just, I think, a little bit better than Vegas has probably gotten onto at this point. Um, again, I'll be at the scrimmage right there, but you've got a, you've got a quarterback situation where it's pretty good. It's pretty solid. The offense brings back almost everybody, and it was a pretty good offense. Again, it was a little helter-skelter at times, and the defense – Here's the thing I can tell you about the defense. It can't get any worse. And so you've already got five. You already got five wins. I believe right now that uh, Arizona is undervalued and will be undervalued. Am I wrong or is this Mike Luke actually being smart about something? I think from a Vegas perspective, if they would have said five and a half, I would probably agree. I think they're wrong by about a game because – as much progress as Arizona showed last year, I think there's still a number of lingering questions and you hinted at it. I mean, it starts on defense. The defense was absolutely atrocious last year. If Arizona had any form or any improvement on the defensive side, you probably see two or three more wins last year. Um, But again, it's going to come down to a few things. Number one, the schedule, you look at the non-conference opponents that Arizona faces, NAU, Mississippi state, UTEP, right? I think you probably get two out of the three. Maybe you get a three out of the three. I just don't think Arizona's quite at that point where they can go on the road and beat an SEC opponent. I just don't think that's the case right now. Um, And then the second thing, right, is I think offensively, you know, we'll get into the nitty gritty, but you look at the run game, you look at the receivers, check, check. You look at the box, you know, you check the box there, assuming everybody stays healthy. I think the big question becomes, what is that difference between year one and year two as a legitimate starter playing minutes in the Pac-12 look like for Jaden Delora? I mean, this is a guy obviously last year who was, I think, number six in passing in the nation. Um, Some of that was poo-poo. Some of that was legit, but there's definitely progress that needs to be made there. And I think Arizona... As we've talked about, it's going to be improving the roster. It's going to be depth and it's going to be guys staying healthy because outside of, you know, maybe your run game, this, this defense, this offense, you look at both lines, you look at both, you look at the secondary, you look at the receivers, the receivers are really deep. But outside of that, I mean, this team doesn't have a lot of depth, so there's going to be injuries. I I would just like to see Arizona show improvement. I think there's probably five to six wins to be had just because the schedule is a little bit easier just because Delora obviously can only get better at this point. So I, I don't know if it's a no brainer, but I, I certainly would take the over. So I, I hope that helps. John Schuster. Uh, what do you I, say? I, I will, I will do some of my finest analysis of this show. Mike Lucas smart. Ben white just had an exceptional breakdown for Arizona football. Thanks to both of you. For, for providing that kind of insight. We are now joined by Saul Bookman. Hello, Saul. Hi, guys. How are we doing? Can you hear me okay? 
can hear you perfectly. I have, I take reservation with what Shu said about the hot girls, as he put it. And I'm not trying to come at Shu uh, indirectly, but I think there's a lot more to it than just, oh, they're, they're, they're pretty girls or pretty guys, right? I think, uh, first of all, they're excellent at the content creation space. Uh, they know how to create content more like there's a lot of fitness videos. There's a lot of different things on what to eat and different things, right? Flau Johnson, perfect example. She gives you a behind the scenes look on what she does on a day-to-day -day basis. She's the second highest paid NIL athlete in the country, right? Um, it's more than just being a pretty face. Uh, it's more than just being quote unquote hot. Uh, these, these people have been in that space creating a big time followings even before they got the NIL deals because of a variety of different factors, not just because of their looks. And I think when you, when you, when you try to put people in that one space, it, be, it becomes kind of an issue because now you're, you're kind of denigrating everything else that they're also doing in order to make money. Like what these, what these kids have done and not just, not just in college, but overall on the landscape of, of social media is they've become expert marketers self-marketers more than anything else. If they couldn't self-market, uh, then they're not making revenue. And a lot of these athletes are tremendous at that. Now, do the looks obviously complement what they're doing as well and, and help them? Sure, I'm not going to debate that. But there's a lot more to it than just, oh, they're hot, so I'm just going to give them millions of dollars. Nobody's going to do that. How do you promote things? How are you a marketer? And that's what I wanted to go back to because there's just a lot more to it than just that. Well, okay. And, and there's, there's, there's also other athletes that are very talented, uh, also very pretty. They're not making anywhere near the kind of money that some of these other people are because they can't take advantage of that space or they don't know how to take advantage of that space. Uh, and I've seen it. I've seen it a hundred times. I've seen it here at ASU where people will, will ask me questions about how, how can I better promote myself? How can I better take advantage of the social media landscape? So I think it's, you got to be careful when you start just pigeonholing people. Well, because, okay, oh, they're, okay. They're okay. Money let's, say all, let, let's say all of that's true, which it is, okay? Mm -hmm. Then isn't it imperative for the university, whatever university we're talking about? And by the way, the only thing I'm really going to take umbrage with in, sure. in, in the statement that you just made is that I think that's a, a teal-colored Phoenix Suns hat, and it's absolutely driving me bonkers. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but, but if you're going to have a marketing wing at the NIL level, and you have a series of athletes who are trying to effectively utilize the social media landscape, and I think everything you just said is absolutely accurate, then isn't it imperative to hire those people who can help guide prospective athletes in, in a direction that allows them uh, to capitalize on whatever benefits they may ultimately have. And, and isn't million, that the most important thing that a university, perhaps athletic program, is looking at trying to do with right now? A million percent. A million percent, Shu. Uh, listen, I think what's happened, uh, in, in I am completely speaking from uh, a perspective of hearing things from athletes as opposed to actually going and doing any investigation myself full transparency right um i think a lot of the the schools that are trying to build these nil programs so they can you know oh so they we we can create this for x amount or this person or this player or whatever they come with it with a very kind of rigid understanding of marketing themselves um they try to put it in in terms of 
okay, well, we have corporate boxes with Crest Insurance. Let's see if Crest Insurance will give us, you know, $50,000 for NIL deals. No fucking kid wants to pitch Crest Insurance. I love Crest Insurance. I'm not saying it's bad. But listen, if you're 19 years old, you're not thinking about insurance. You're not thinking about any of that stuff. You want to pitch brands that you can rep. Like, that's why a lot of these athletes come up with clothing deals. Kate Reese is one of them. Um, you know, like they come up with jewelry deals. Kate Reese is one of them. Like they have all these different things. Uh, that's what we try to help them out with. When we pitch uh, potential NIL athletes, we talk about like the branding. What kind of design shirt would you like? What kind of image would you like that you would be proud to rep and your, your friends and family and most importantly, the fan base would love to rep? Because uh, it doesn't matter what I think because I'm 43 fucking years old. It doesn't matter what I think. What do you like? What do you want to pitch? That's the most important part. So I think a lot of these schools are thinking about it in a very firm construct of what they've been able to pitch clients to sponsor uh, games and, and the athletic brand. But it's a very different scenario when you're talking about social media and teenagers and young 20-year-olds that are trying to come up and really make a name for themselves in the social media space because those two uh, oftentimes do not look eye to eye. They're completely different markets. And you have to get somebody that has the expertise to be able to pitch that in a, in a good way and let these kids know like, hey, this is what we have. What, what, what do you vibe with? What do you like? And what would, do you think you would like to rep? And maybe we can come up with a deal that suits you the best. Let me ask you this. How much of this change did the, the Kardashian as far as being that promoter, being that able to promote themselves? How much of that is going to be kind of a, and again, I'm just kind of spitballing here. It's kind of a lasting legacy here because you look at it. And I was thinking about what you were talking about. You look at that. They promote them. They, they are able to promote their product. They're able to promote themselves and in a way. And I think, isn't that kind of the template as to what a lot of these people are doing? A million percent. Uh, the, the Kardashians expose the fact that um, uh, if you self-promote and you do it the right way, um, people are going to, they're going to want to follow you. They're going to want to watch. Now, again, back to shoes point, the Kardashians, you know, they, they have a, a name brand that already came along with them with, with their, their form, you know, their, their passed away father and, and, and Robert Kardashian, but then you had Bruce Jenner. Um, and so those two high public figures help aid them to get to the, the heights uh, that they're at. But obviously they pitch things that take advantage of like what she was trying to refer to earlier, the beauty aspect of everything, right? The image, like you can look this good. You can like everything that they do, it's branded for their look, um, it's, it's branded for their, their lifestyle. It's branded towards people who want to fit into that mold. Um, not everything at the school level is, is, is tailored to that necessarily. Um, so a lot of these athletes are actually finding NIL deals on their own to be able to accentuate whatever it is that they like, uh, whether it be looks or fitness, there's, there's, there's plenty of male athletes out there that are pitching, you know, protein products. They're pitching like, you know, how to get in shape because you want to look like a chiseled 22 year old, bro. I'm not, I'm not ever going to be that dude. Right. Like I don't, that's just not going to happen. Right. Oh, so I, you so are, but I vibe, <laughs> but I vibe with the fact that they want to be that, that person. And they want to be that, that marketing uh, model for whatever brand it is. So I, it is very important. And it did, I do think it, it largely originated in, in that space, but then social media kind of took over and it gave, it gave everybody an open platform and you saw a lot of, I mean, you just go across TikTok alone. Like 
there are so many people that you would have never, ever, ever heard of before that have been able to take advantage of that space and make things go viral on their own because of the content that they created and the lifestyle that they, they, they get you to believe that you can live too by a, a variety of different ways. Saul, where do you get that hat? Uh, you can get that at Hat Club. There you go, Shu. It's actually grown on me a little bit. I didn't like it at first. I'm going to be honest here, but it's actually grown on me a great deal. It's uh, it's it's the native uh, hat for the, the Suns jerseys. Come on, man. You got to kind of rep the brand. All right. It's, Saul, it's, uh, it's certainly repped. <laughs> we'll, 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 uh, before we sign off here, when it comes to the NIL, though, um, I, I am curious as to your take on this as well. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. Overall, is this a is this a good thing where, uh, you know, for for kids where, you know, like Nigel Pack, it's eight hundred thousand dollars to go to Miami for two years. Is that a good thing? And, you know, what, what, what's your take on that? Uh, I think it's I think it's a great thing. First of all, I, I mean, listen, man, you know, those days of, you know, I remember the story of Chris Weber. I was reaching I was reading Mitch Albom's book and Chris Weber was talking about. Um, how he had like $2.34 in his pocket. He's walking down to buy a bookstore and his jersey is selling off the rack and he doesn't get a penny of that, right? Um, that's the biggest reason why Chris Weber himself left the University of Michigan. Uh, same thing with Jalen Rose and all those guys. And when you think about stories like that, and I've we've come across other athletes that have been in the similar position. Uh, when I was at the Daily Wildcat, you know, I worked – alongside a couple athletes that were in the J school. Um, and, and they would talk about like, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I hope I get paid tomorrow cause I get my stipend or whatever. And it's like, man, you, I can't believe that we're, we're at that point where, you know, a school's making millions of dollars and you're not getting a single penny from it. So I think there's some evening out that needs to be done across the board. Um, I, I don't think it's, listen, Alabama's got bigger boosters than Arizona on the football side. Like that's just a legit thing. So how do you combat that? Uh, how do you make it an even playing field saying you can reach X amount of dollars or whatever, right? I don't know what that's going to look like. I do like the fact that the transfer thing is going to play a big part. Um, dealing with that on my end, okay? We had a running back um, who ended up transferring to Washington State. You know, well, when you, when you, when you transfer to Washington – or I'm sorry, Washington. Well, when you transfer, guess what? Like, I have a whole bunch of T-shirts now that I can't sell because – Nobody's repping a player that doesn't play for their school anymore, right? So there, there's, there's going to be some kind of – I think you're going to start to see contracts that have that kind of language in there. There's going to be some things that, that these NIL people will, will put in. Uh, and these players, hey, they're, they're going to start getting represented. If, a lot of them already are, especially at the high dollar mark. Um, they, they'll have representation to make sure that any contract that they sign um, is, is legally binding and, and it has everything in their client's interest in order to make as much money as they possibly can. So uh, it's it's a little bit of a sticky situation, and we're all learning as we go and, and trying to figure it all out because, honestly, it was like the Wild West for the last year and a half, two years. Uh, now I feel like people are like, okay, we need to we need to form some type of a construct around this. Otherwise, it's just going to be crazy, and nobody's going to know anything any, any, at any time. He is, uh, he is the boss, Saul Bookman, the head of uh, the head of PHNX, the city's or the state's all-time free throw shooter. He is John Schuster. He is, by the way, Jody didn't know that, by the way. Because oh, well. Jody didn't what? know that I was John Schuster. Jody, <laughs> Jody has played basketball with you before. Has he? He used to play basketball with uh, John Schuster, has he not? Oh, oh that, no, yeah, that's true. And at the time, he was impressed with the amount of free throws I made. So uh, he probably just naturally assumed that I was the state leader in free throw percentage. 
But that would not be you. That would be Saul Bookman right there. Yeah, it, the thing that threw him off, though, I was also blinding him with the uh, top of my head as opposed to having a sweet turquoise Phoenix Suns hat. <laughs> <laughs> on, that, on that note, everybody out there, head out to the scrimmage tomorrow, 7 o'clock, uh, Arizona Stadium. going to be a lot of fun. It's open to the public, family-friendly as well. Love to see you out there. I will be there bothering people. Love to see you. For Saul Bookman, Sean Schuster, Ben White, I am Mike Luke. You have been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.